Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome. Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Hey there, beautiful people out in listening podcast land. You are here at the podcast table. The chair is set for you. Come have a seat. Grab your favorite beverage of choice and join myself, Paul Walker, co-host of the Jesus Collective podcast with the ever lovely and amazing Shauna Boren. Shauna, you're here. How's it going? Hi. Hey, Paul, I'm here. And I will say, I'm hi, I'm here as well. And you are also ever lovely and amazing. Uh, it just came so, out of me. I had no plans on saying yeah. that. Like I, have, I have no <laughs> script. Words just fall out of my mouth. I like it. I like, I mean, it could have been some other words that maybe wouldn't have been so great. So I appreciate yeah, that they were fair. lovely words. Thank you, sir. I'm doing good. Although, um, are you okay? Like, I'm glad that you're indoors because mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of frigid where you are my friend are you handling it okay you guys yeah yeah it's quite frigid we're having a bit of a cold snap uh here on the prairies of canada in january Mm. and Mm. when canadians complain about the cold you know it's you know it's bad you know you know it's bad we're like day after tomorrow if you ever watch that movie we're like that cold it's like mm. the air hurts our face uh to give context for our american audience it's like 22 negative 22 degrees fahrenheit just like minus 35 40 celsius mm. so it's uh it's really cold and it's so cold right now that that like some of our provinces are just struggling to keep up with power demands um in oh. Alberta, there was like this emergency alert that went out to people's phones saying, please reduce your power usage because the grid was like just getting so taxed. And like they were able to solve it, thankfully. And upon investigation, they realized like two of their power plants were not working correctly. So oh dear. long story. But, oh dear. but when when power goes out and it's like that cold, you're putting people's yeah. lives at yeah, risk. That's so it was, it was a really yeah. sobering experience. My family actually lives in Alberta and they were sending me texts about it like, oh, this is really awful. And my parents, uh, thankfully, they have a wood stove at their house. Okay. And they just invited my entire family that lives within like 30 minutes of their house. Just come chill. If the power goes up, we got wood. We'll burn it. Mm. You know, we do, we joke about it, but it can be really dangerous. And you do hear about, you know, especially it feels like folks in, in um, older communities or mm. folks who are older, they maybe don't have a wood stove or something. It just, and they do all kinds of things to try to stay warm and it, it can get really bad and really dangerous. So I'm glad you're safe and I'm glad your family is safe, actually. Well, thanks, Shona. How, how are things on your end weather-wise? <laughs> Yeah, normally I feel like I'm the one who can be complaining about weather during this time. You know, like my youngest daughter, she um, just turned 15. And that's important to this conversation because when she was born, it was like one of those negative 30 degree days. And it was just, and the wind was awful. And it was just so, so cold. And so um, we've had some cold, but you know what? 
we're apparently getting a bit of a heat wave uh, starting this weekend and moving into the end of January. So truly, I guess we're God's favored. I don't, I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. I'm all for it. So. <laughs> Otherwise, like uh, what, what's just like giving you joy these days? Like what's, yeah. what's putting fuel in your furnace to keep you warm? I don't know what to connect what's it to. Whether... Me, yeah, it's all yeah. right. What's keeping me warm spiritually. Um, you know, I will say, and I was in a, I was in a conversation on a call yesterday with some folks from Jesus Collective, and we were just talking about some similar things. And I will say, like, it felt like as good as uh, personally, I felt 2023 was it, toward the end. I just kind of felt like I was just like crawling over the finish mm. line. Like yeah. I was just spent. Um, I was in the same boat, I, Shauna. Like, yeah, I really, it, it's, like I looked back on 2023 and I felt like, this was a harder year than I expected. And I think at yeah. the start of the year, I was I was like, yay, less COVID, more travel in the world, all that. <laughs> and yet there was something about, there was a different kind of tiredness that came. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I felt very similar crawling to the finish line at the end of the year. Yeah, and it was just, and so that's something that um, I felt like I needed to kind of examine and just... Just in case if there was anything that I could kind of shift so that I don't find myself in that place again. Yeah. And now I'm like, wait, January's almost over. Like, what is happening with time? I don't even yeah. know where it's going. Because really, in the church world, we're gearing up, right, for this, for spring, for Easter, for all the things. And so I, I just am, am in a bit of a whirlwind trying to kind of find my bearings um, because I really want to as much as possible, not find myself in that same place of just crawling over the finish line at the end of what is now 2024. But I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful. And so I think that's what's fueling my fire. For, for some reason, maybe it's blind optimism and maybe it's just mm. naive hopefulness. I, I, for some reason, I'm sitting here in this moment um, hopeful, which is saying a lot considering I live in America and it's 2024, which you may or may not know is an election year. <laughs> It can get a little sticky. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of an electioneer and things getting yeah. sticky, maybe translation mm-hmm. of that word is like perhaps a bit weighty and anxious. Yeah. Today on our podcast, Oof. we have a guest that's actually going to talk mm-hmm. to us all about what it means to be the church in a non-anxious age. And she's actually yeah. joining us at our Unite conference uh, at the end of April, which I encourage you, if you're listening in, we'd love to see you there. But yes. uh, over to you, Shauna, why don't you introduce our prestigious guest? Yes, um, who is also very lovely, I might say. Um, so today we are so excited because we are going to be speaking with Jenny Waldron. Um, and I said to Jenny and Paul right before we went live that I am really excited about this conversation because I feel like in the Jesus Collective, we have some really great theological dialogue and it's really rich and so helpful um, and I'm glad that we are also paying attention to this aspect of the human experience. Um, and that is our mind and the fact that, you know, anxiety is a thing. And we just want to say um, that being in the church and being in church leadership doesn't make us immune to such wow. things. Um, in fact, I feel like sometimes we can take that on a little more. And so I'm looking to Jenny to provide all the answers. <laughs> and so there will be no more anxiety by the time. The what a great, what a great over. idea. I mean, send this podcast to your friends. Like we're going to solve yeah. everything today. All of it. 
no pressure, Jenny. No well, pressure. here here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, I gotta go, but uh, I think you guys, you guys got it. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Jenny. Um, Jenny is a pastor, an author, a teacher. She's also a wife and a mom of two kids and one dog. Um, She um, is insatiably curious uh, in regards to being a student of God um, and the world that he's created. She's never met a fantasy fiction novel that she didn't love. That's something that's going to be important for you to know. And she's obsessed with searching for Jesus in the scriptures so we can find him in our lives. I love that. Like bringing the theology into our practical lives. It's going to be incredible. One more thing about Jenny is that she firmly believes the local church is God's plan. A plan a to bring healing to this world. God made Jenny to bring life with the words she speaks, and she is convinced that it is in Christ the words of life are found. And that is ah, really refreshing, um, and I'm really excited about this mm-hmm. conversation. Welcome, Jenny. Welcome, well, Jenny. I think every time I enter a room, someone should read something. No, actually, I really hate that. I don't know if you guys all <laughs> hate that, but I know it does help people to know who we're talking to. Yeah. But yeah, I just... uh from age 17, I've just been obsessed with Jesus. So I don't really know what else love to do it. than talk about him. So yeah. I, hope, I hope we have a good time today talking about anxiety. Has anyone ever said they had a good time talking about anxiety? I think I think we will today. That's my just goal. Can't my, wait. goal can't wait. my goal is that every listener gets over this and they were like, that was a great time. And they're just so surprised by how much they feel encouraged and excited about the future. Amen. Amen to that. I remember because we we've chatted with you once before, Jenny, um, on a different topic, and and I remember you saying it stuck out to me that when you met you met Jesus at seventeen and just fell in love with him and just can't stop talking about him. I love that, and I think that radiates um, just in your speech. And I really feel like the the listener is going to hear that, and they're going to get excited. So it could be anxiety, it could be anything, and I think you're going to bring the excitement. So I think we should get into it. <laughs> well, I think we good. should. Let's go. This can be great. Well, let's get into it. First question for you today, Jenny, is could you share a bit about your personal story around anxiety and this thing that we call the mental health crisis? Like, how does this relate to your story? We've heard a bit of your story, like you're 17, my Jesus. But I'm I'm going to guess that when you found Jesus at 17, that like being anxious didn't just go away. Um, Yeah. What can you tell us? That's good. I think, um, uh, well, first, before, before we jump, I do want to answer that question, but before we do, I want to say I'm not a psychologist. I am a pastor. And so when I talk about anxiety, I'm not doing it from like a neuroscience lens, although we'll do a little bit of armchair neuroscience together today. Cause that's so fun. Uh, I'm not a psychologist, but I do have a little bit of training and I a hundred percent have experience in what it's like to walk with people and to experience anxiety and other things in my own life. And so uh, I just think that's important because there are a lot of people out there who are trying to come off as they just, you just don't know, you know, it's actually harmful to try to be someone that you're not. But I do think that there's power in a pastoral perspective Mm -hmm. on anxiety for the current mental health crisis that we're facing. I mean, it was probably like three years ago that the New York times put out an article that said that one of the number one health crises in America was the mental health of teenagers. Yes. And we've got all kinds of things and there's, everything's connected, right? There's loneliness, there's anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's all these things that are permeating to the point that people are taking it to the government policy level to say, how do we deal with this thing? Mm -hmm. So then shouldn't the church, shouldn't Jesus people 
have something to say about it. My hope would be the answer is yes to that question. That's a, yeah. that's a just, well, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's yeah, good for absolutely. us to say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, say it. And, and then let's just name this that like, there's no shame. Like, I'm so glad we're having mm. this conversation because there is no shame because so many times we feel like, oh man, if we are kingdom people, then we wouldn't be having this particular struggle. Mm. As if our mind yeah. and our emotions were immune to the assault of the world. Like that is just so like, here, there is no shame. We're going to talk about it. We've all experienced it. And I, I just yeah. think it's going to be so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, Come and strength, on. which by the way, he added, he added mind. So when, when he was quoting the Shema, when he was quoting this thing that yep. every Hebrew child would have grown up raising, it was heart, soul, strength. So this idea of mind, need it started to kind of emerge in the world that Jesus lived in as separate from the heart or separate from your soul. And so for us to understand that today, I think it was a gift to us that Jesus would say that you can love God with your mind wherever that mind is. Okay. So anyway, yeah. my story. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. And one of, um, when I was growing up, four kids, eventually five kids, because we adopted my sister. And in my family of origin, I am the only one who has not been hospitalized for a battle with mental illness. Mm. So when you're kind of going through my story, and my, my mom struggled the deepest. So my mom battled debilitating depression for most of my life to the point of suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of that kind of weight going on. And what I remember the most was that I felt so alone mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I was a pastor's kid. And at the time my dad was okay. Later he would suffer a nervous breakdown that led him into a whole cycle. But uh, at the time I'm like, I, I, I see all this stuff happening around me. My mom could never show up at church, but I would hear the people talk about my mom, about what she was doing, about what our family was doing. My sister fell into a really severe painkiller addiction after her bout with some stuff. She actually still has a hard time living on her own. Mm -hmm. There's all of these things that are swirling my family. And what I remember as a kid was that the church wasn't actually safe for that conversation. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't until I was in seminary that I actually read a book called Troubled Minds, which mm -hmm. Um, stuck with me because it was the story of a woman whose dad was a pastor, whose mom suffered from schizophrenia. And, and she makes some suggestions. And I, by the way, I just, I'll read books, even if you disagree with them. I just, I think it's, it's not dangerous. Read a book, right? Listen yeah. to what somebody has to say. But right. what I loved about it was I, I watched somebody who battled with the same thing that I did come to the conclusion that I agreed with, which was the church, Jesus people should engage in this conversation and need to be the safest place for somebody to find healing. And so going through my story, watching my family really crumble under the weight of not having any avenue, when I became a young pastor in my early 20s, people started to have this battle with anxiety that would become more public or bouts of depression that would lend them to go to the ER and end up in the hospital. And at our church, I ended up being the pastor that would be sent to do hospital visits because I was kind of wow. the only one on our team who knew who was comfortable enough, as strange as that sounds, with someone who was battling a mental illness. And so mm. it's been really interesting for me to watch really in my generation of leadership 
the mm-hmm. church become aware of something that I knew of from the time I was very young. And so yeah. that's been really interesting for me to see. And it's very generational. I don't know. I mean, just like perspective from where I sit, there's the the Gen Xers. I don't know that it that there wasn't anxiety. I mean, I mean, I hear some of the stories and I'm like, I think maybe that would be called anxiety, or I think right. that would maybe be called depression. But at the time yeah. that wasn't safe. So then with no. millennials, even I'm tech, okay, I was Gen Y, they took away my generation. Oh no. I would like to I would like to file a formal complaint. So what are you now they call sign me the petition. I'm an, sign guys, the petition. I can't even say this. I'm an elder millennial. Isn't that true? Elder. Elder. Okay. Anyway, I'm an elder millennial. But even in my generation, I guess Paul, Paul, and Shauna, you're in there too. We're we are really no no no. I'm Gen X here. Loud and proud. I I just, you know, you're I just thought you were a Gen Zer. I thought you were a Gen Zer. Okay. So we're in this we're in this space. (laughs) That's because Shauna like never ages. She is evergreen as well as ever lovely. (laughs) Ever lovely, evergreen wine. Oh, our church. Okay, anyway, keep going. So anyway, the point is this. I'm watching even millennials become more and more comfortable with being vulnerable about where they're at. Yeah. So then Gen Z comes along and they're like, listen, everything about my life's an open book. There there are zero boundaries. And then now these people are becoming adults, like legit real adults that have mortgages. Yeah. So now yeah. we're sitting at in a space where okay, hold on, I'm gonna stop you there. They don't have mortgages; they have rentals. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. Let's be real. They can't afford. They can't afford. Uh, they can't mortgages. afford it. They can't afford they're it. They're moving in it. with their parents. They are. They're, like, but my point is, they're 28. The oldest yeah. Gen Zers are 28. Wow. So yeah. now we're watching millennials coming into their earning years. They're like now. By the way, a study just came out. Millennials are like. They are giving more. They are serving more. They are, they're like the core of the church Come and on. the volunteer force of America. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but I have the America stats. Go so millennials you. are really coming into like the yep. middle. They're there now the backbone, right? Xers are kind of yeah. coming into, they're like, let's go on some trips. Let's travel the world. So yeah. Zers are now the ones that are like, so what do we need? So we're asking the question as we're parenting Gen Z, Gen Alpha, mm-hmm. as we're raising up teenagers in that, how do we reach those people, some of them adults, who are sitting in a place where they don't have the ability to truly function at the level that generations before them that did, because I feel like there's this, it's almost as if whatever happened in Gen Z, the floodgate opened into the millennials who started to have language for it. And then it came into the Gen Z world. And now they're like, almost like broken by it. Like, how do mm. I get a job? I can't even make a phone call to order right. pizza. Mm. Right. So that's what we're watching happen as like symptoms of this thing. But that's just like how other people in conversation would describe it. But to some degree, what I really think it is, is that we got to a place somewhere in the West Western world where we felt like our emotions, our problems, everything needs to be disconnected from our faith. Because if I have mm-hmm. something that is bad or hard or feels bad or feels hard, then I, I mean, I we could go deep into the theological roots of where this comes from. But somewhere around the 1950s, that started to be said, then you're actually a weak Christian, let alone a weak mm-hmm. person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, oh, yeah. And so then it's not safe. So now I come and I want to be able to bring this thing or even I mean, we're watching how far does this go? We're watching pastors crumble. We're watching people who are leading other people. We're watching counselors crumble. Mm. 
So the, yeah. the crisis is, is big, it's far reaching, and there's a lot we can talk about for how we can approach it. But I just like, I kind of wanted to give a scope for how, how does it look and how does it affect the people in like my congregation is I am watching yeah. this. We actually did a series this fall, a teaching series called Peace of Mind. And we talked about Jesus and mental health. Nice. And so when we first started, you guys, what, what do you think? Like people, do you think people want to come to that series? Like, nope. <laughs> we sat in a room and we're like, okay, we're going to do this out of faithfulness to the Lord. Like we are going to do this series because we absolutely have to talk about this and we need to reframe the conversation through Jesus. So we're like, okay, we're going to do this. So the first two weeks of the mental health series at our church, at the campus that I lead, we grew 60% year over year. Wow. And then there's been a consistent growth of 30% year over year, every single week since we started that series. Mm -hmm. And I really, I, we got up there and I was like, okay, listen, here's what the series is not. It's not going to be a bummer. We're not going to sit here and talk about how sad we are, but we are going to talk about the real issues and see how Jesus has real healing for it. And I just, yeah. I guess I'm here to say like the, the church is ready for it. Yeah. For yeah. for us to have conversations that are real about the issues that are plaguing our whole world, let alone yeah. specifically, I would say, um, the people who are in our churches. So when I'm coming at right. it from a pastoral pastoral lens, yeah, but, mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like the people within the church are ready for it. So our leaders better get ready for it. Um, and I, I think it's important. And I think everything you're saying is so true. And I think that we just went and it's not done, I'm sorry, but this global trauma. And mm -hmm. I think that just exasperated all of all of stuff that we're seeing and stuff you're talking yeah. about. Well, and I, th I think there are three kinds of anxiety that we can talk about. And one of them, we're actually just not that equipped to talk about. So one of them is yeah. clinical anxiety yeah. is a real thing. And if you're somebody yeah. here who you've got this ongoing anxiety that's keeping you from going to your job, showing up to family functions, being a part of your social life. You're sitting in a place where you can't even walk in the doors of a church or you can't, if you're there, please go get some help, which we can talk about yeah. resources yeah. for that. There is yeah. like God actually made medicine. God made all of these things so that you can be set right. Holistically. It's, it's not just your mm -hmm. mind. It's not just your heart. It's your body. And so I just want to say that, like, please do that. I do think there's also situational anxiety, which can be individual, but it can also mm -hmm. be collective. And mm -hmm. I, I do think that we're experiencing a major uptick of that. So for sure. And, and, and everything feels more anxious, which we can talk about why in a minute. Um, and then I think there's also just overwhelm. Yeah. And there's a, there's a level of what I don't want to do is put, change the words people are using. If people say, I feel anxious, right. they feel it. They feel anxious, but it's yeah. not always anxiety. There are also right. other emotions that feel really big and hard. And if we can expand our language and our vocabulary around what we're feeling, the more specific we can get about our emotions and the ones that overwhelm us, the more specific we can get about the healing. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I think I'm seeing is even in my kids. They, I mean, I've got middle schoolers. The only word they know is anxiety. Like I'm feeling yeah. anxiety, yeah. but you know, yeah. if we sit and talk about like, what are you feeling? Maybe they're feeling jealous or mm -hmm. maybe they're feeling nervous or mm -hmm. maybe they're actually afraid. Maybe their feelings have been hurt. 
And so the idea of going back into that social situation does give them anxiety, but it's because there's a relationship that needs repair. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Those are just some thoughts I have about that. So I love that you say like, like one of the words I heard you say is just like this idea of a holistic response and that the church needs Mm -hmm. to say something around this. Like it reminds me that I actually have a couple friends in my life that they're like full-time trained and certified counselors and therapists and uh, but they also like participate in a ministry of some extent. We interviewed one of my friends, uh, Carolyn, on a previous podcast. She's one of our elders and she's a full time counselor therapist. Like that's what she does. Yeah, and yeah. what I'm hearing for some of my friends, I'm thinking like one of my former youth pastors, he transitioned out of ministry and became a full time counselor. And what I'm hearing from them is actually they turned to me. And they say, we still need the church. I've never heard yeah. from one one of them that said that, like, you know, we kind of got this. They just, yeah. the only caution they had is, like, just make sure you don't over-function as a pastor and learn when to yeah. refer, learn when yeah. how to partner well. But I've never once heard that faith, that spirituality, that practices like this are, like, irrelevant or, like, could just be yeah. swept away and we could write a prescription instead. Any more, anything, I hear more of a, we need to be far more integrated. We need to fo- be far more, more uh, yeah. kind of like uh, sewn up. So, so one of my follow-up questions for you is like, you had this experience you named of like, you grew up in a family where you're the only one that wasn't hospitalized. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, when did you make the connection about about anxiety, about mental health and spirituality and and this thing called holistic integration. How did that happen for you? That is a great question. So um, I think being, and, and by the way, I think I lived, I was an anxious kid. Like I think my whole life I battled with anxiety. The way that it manifested for me was this like really debilitating fear of the dark. And I didn't really know why. I just like, I would always say, well, I'm just very afraid of the night. Like I hated the night. Every time the sun went down, I was like, I hate nighttime. Like I just couldn't handle it. I would sleep with a light on in my room, like all the things, which it wasn't until I was a grown adult that I was able to name, oh, that would probably be, which by the way, through great therapy of like, Mm -hmm. oh, that might be the anxiety of living in the situation that I did working itself out into my life. And so that was my early young adult years was kind of sorting through that. But it wasn't until um, my husband and I ended up facing a life circumstance that was really difficult, like change your life kind of difficult, which I know many people have in their life where, you know, jobs had to change, lifestyle had to change, everything had to change. And we had little kids at the time. And I, I had been, the way I like to say it is like, I loved Jesus and I was following Jesus, but I was doing it all on my own strength. And I was exhausted. Like I was an exhausted Jesus follower. And I, and I just discovered, (laughs) I just discovered that like, it wasn't just this, like on my own strength thing. So what ended up happening was uh, after this event, my husband and I went and saw a counselor and we sat with the counselor And I actually, I write about this experience in a book that I wrote for our church in 2017. It's called This Side of Breathing. And it's all about um, how the Holy Spirit is oxygen for your soul. And so Mm. I, I learned, we're sitting in this thing and really we were there and I'm thinking this counselor is going to solve my problem. Like I am paying you by the hour. 
to solve my problem. This is what I came in and I'm a fixer. Like I'm a doer. I'm a get her done kind of situation. I'm like, give me the information. I will apply it. We will get an A. So that's my personality, right? Like A on crisis. How do you get an A on a life crisis? I was gonna, I'm telling you that much. I feel like I'm talking to the female version myself. This is great. I love this. So I'm going to get an A plus on dealing with crisis. I'm sitting at this counselor and this, uh, the therapist looks at me and just says the words, I can't solve your problem. And I was furious. Like, what? So then he lets that sit. <laughs> and then he goes, but I can teach you how to breathe through it. Mm. And so we sat there mm. in this counselor's office. And I thought this was the most ridiculous hokey pokey nonsense I've ever heard in my life. And he's like, put your feet flat on the ground. And he's like, close your eyes. And I want you to start breathing, but I want you to breathe slowly in through your nose, start at your toes, picture it coming up through your ankles, through your shins, through your knees, slowly up through your hips, your chest, picture it still coming up all the way through your face and out the tips of your hair. And then slowly through your mouth, breathe out. And it was, there's something about that moment that it just clicked for me that while I was breathing, I was surviving these moments of crisis that I was facing. And I started to think more clearly. My heart rate slowed down. Mm -hmm. My body started to relax. And I realized that maybe for the first time that time would go on that the story was still being written. Mm. And at the time I was like, this is magic. And then I started to study in the scriptures, like, which I really like magic. Harry Potter's pretty fun, but like I started studying in the scriptures that the, the word for breath and spirit in both Hebrew and in Greek are interchangeable. And anytime that uh, the scriptures are talking, even when Jesus talks about receiving the Holy Spirit in John's gospel, he actually, it says that he breathed on them, yeah. on the disciples. And so there's this like power that started to come in of like, okay, if there's something there, is there something beyond it? And so I started to explore this idea that there might be tools and ways that I can learn to receive a different type of response to the anxious moments of life, to the things that are overwhelming. I tell this story about going scuba diving. Have you guys ever been scuba diving? I cannot swim that well. No. So I will never, probably never try that. Okay. My husband can't swim either, but he loves scuba diving. He says okay. he swims to survive. But here's the thing. You're not, you, you're not supposed to stay on the surface. You just, you can go down into the depths. It's totally fine. I Have you been scuba diving, Shauna? No. And here's the thing. I was not made to go down into the depths. <laughs> that is not my jam. Okay. I will enjoy your story. Okay. I ain't doing it. <laughs> okay. So, so we go, we go to, this is after this whole thing. I've like gone to this counselor and like, how this whole thing. we go on a vacation. So we go to Mexico and we go to this resort and they're like, we can teach you how to scuba dive. So they put us in this five foot deep pool in the resort. And they're like, here's how you use the oxygen tank. Here's how you do all the other stuff. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. 
So there's like, you know, this 18 year old kid is teaching me how to not die in the bottom of the ocean. So then I'm great. Great. So then, then I'm like, I've nailed this. Like if you, you know how I, I get straight A's and I was probably the greatest resort guest, the best student that exists in the world in this scuba diving class. So then they take us out on this like bus to the actual ocean and they put us on a boat. We go out and we're like on the real ocean and the real ocean. They're like, cause you're going to, you're just going to go in it. So I was like, great. <laughs> See, this is the part I haven't thought through. Like, not just you're going to go under, like, I got to go in it. So then the instructor yeah. just goes by and gets in the water and just like goes down into the, no. and it's interesting because the way you get into the water when you're scuba diving, when you're learning, like I thought it was like the little mermaid, you know, Ariel, where you're just going to like dive in with your fins behind you. That's not how you do it. There's like a rope and you hold onto the rope and you go like one foot down and then you have to like adjust to the pressure. And then you go a little bit further down and then you have to like adjust to the pressure. You go a little bit further down. You have to adjust to the pressure and the whole time, you know, you're checking, is my oxygen working? Am I handling the pressure? Is my oxygen working? Am I handling the pressure? And it wasn't until I got onto the bottom of the ocean, well, 30 feet down, but it was the furthest to the bottom of the ocean I will ever go, that this, like, it hit me. Like, I can't, I actually can't get back to the surface in enough time to breathe if my oxygen fails. Mm And that feeling of being like surrounded by the pressure of the ocean, the darkness around me, like I can see the light, but it is too far away. Like I can see the surface, but it is too far away was the best way that I could ever describe what it feels like to be in the cycle of anxiety that I know everything I need to know, but I still know that I can't get where I need to go on my own. And the power was that as my eyes started to turn the instructor looked at me and pointed at the oxygen tank to remind me that even at that depth, even at that pressure, even at that distance from everything that was familiar and made me feel safe, I had access to the oxygen in the tank. Mm. And why I think the church, why I think Jesus people have the greatest news when it comes to a world that is anxious is that we have access to the spirit of the living God who can give us oxygen in any depth, in any pressure, in any situation that we cannot overcome. And that good news is what has completely propelled me as a leader and as a Jesus follower for the last really like nine years of this is where we find hope that we can get into that space. And so for me, it really was this, like, it was too much. Yeah. And I think I was just taught you're supposed to be like, if there's not, there's never too, there's too much sometimes. Mm. Yeah. And the sooner we can get to the point where we think there's too much and we actually need Jesus, I think the sooner that we can discover that we actually have access to everything that we need. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm experiencing, <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm experiencing two emotions right now, Jenny. One is um, I'm just in awe of, of what you just shared and, and that experience. And then two, I'm a little ticked off because now I'm a little anxious, like <laughs> envisioning being in that right? space that you were in, <laughs> but it's such a perfect, <laughs> it's such a perfect illustration of what you're talking about. So I guess I yeah. can say, thank you. Uh, you have Don quit preaching and gone to meddling, like we would say in the South. <laughs> I think it's necessary. Oh, I was, like, I I was really, ready to I'm, pass the offering plate right there. Oh, I'm, goodness. I'm sweating a little bit. Like, yeah. holy bucket. Okay, man. but I just wow. hear, you know, don't you think like there's a bunch of leaders that are out there like, yeah. 
And here's the thing. I think the reason that, that like, particularly pastors don't want to talk about anxiety is because like, they'd have to deal with their own. Mm. Come on. <laughs> I, I do think there's that false veneer too. Like as leaders is we, we often feel like we have to be the ones that have it all together. Like yeah. that's what a lot of like corporate CEO culture has taught us. And yeah, like yes. the leadership of Jesus is the leadership of the cross, the way of like, in my weakness, I am strong in my vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, I am poured out. And, and there's a sense of like that, that is actually the true strength. Yeah. Well, and I, and in somewhere along the way, um, and it's not just exclusive to leaders, but I think leaders definitely um, have bought into this lie in some way, shape or form that somehow admitting this struggle or even trying to talk about it in a way is somehow lessening our faith that we're supposed to have and that we're supposed to teach about and we're supposed to be like be uh, leaders in and I, i'm kind of beginning to see that maybe it's the exact opposite like maybe it's actually the pathway it's opening the door for the pe- people which we're leading to also say yes like finally we can holistically come together and deal with some of this stuff in really profound and powerful ways and that is leadership Right. It's just it's it's different than what we think and what we thought um before, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm I actually struggling. no, I agree with you, Shauna, because I'm thinking through uh my my mind was going to our dear friend Paul, who writes that like it's it's our weakness. Yeah. That actually is the thing. And I wonder if I'd have to do more study, but maybe we can go down this rabbit hole someday together as friends. I wonder if somewhere for, for for a Western church that just really loves to quote Paul, particularly apart from Jesus, for and a Western like church that through a like misquote Paul. Okay. Well, yeah, for a yeah, Western church misquote. that like loves to misquote Paul or misapply Paul. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to me that we've come to the conclusion that leaders need to have this like set apart perfection. Mm-hmm that Paul didn't have, nor did he claim, nor did he want. And so when, like, when did that happen? Did that happen around the same time that people stopped being able to say like, oh, a leader can be a real human and should be. Mm -hmm. At what point did we start to be like, yeah, you know what, actually call me teacher when Jesus is like, no, don't do that. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I just, there's this idea of laying oneself down, being vulnerable and appropriately. So we don't need to be like, Hey, here's all the things that are like, gonna ruin your face but can we can we boast our weakness a little bit more than maybe the generation before us did yeah amen to that amen to that which is a perfect segue into our next question jenny and um and i I don't i I don't think it's too big of an ask but if you could um what is something or maybe some some many things you wish more pastors and leaders knew about navigating this anxiety mm. that we're talking about within the church. It's a big, it's a big question, but it's a good question. Yeah. If we could just put question. some hands on um, what you wish pastors and leaders know about this. Probably, probably the first one is like, you don't have to have all the answers. Like, I think a lot of times we've been trained in like this didactic manner that says, don't open your mouth if you don't have like a deeply rooted theological answer and yeah. maybe just don't open your mouth. Yeah. Like to some degree, is there this, is there a value in 
just listening to somebody's experience and saying, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Yeah. Like that must be really hard. Mm -hmm. That must be really hard. And and maybe even a step further and just admitting that you don't have the answer for that particular situation. That's okay. Like I'm not trained in this, but that doesn't mean you have nothing to offer. So I think that pastors can make two major mistakes. One is to pretend that they're someone that they're not because they don't want to be seen as ill-informed or ignorant or like they can't lead the current problems of the culture. I think the other mistake that pastors make are they do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they're like, I'm not equipped. And we don't actually have permission from Jesus to do either one. We have permission from Jesus to be with people and to bring them to Jesus. And so when we watch how Jesus responds to anxious situations, which by the way, he was in all the time, that might be like a fun, a fun thing for pastor to do is to just sit and be like, what are the anxious situations Jesus was in? And what did he do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because und- I would say maybe two. It might be every single one of. Them. I was thinking about this. It might be every single one. There might somebody could probably find one that he didn't do this in. Jesus does this thing where he slows down the pace. Mm-hmm. So whatever's mm-hmm. happening, he just slows it down. Whether he's asleep on a boat when everybody's yeah. stressed, or he's walking on water in the middle of a storm. Or he's bending down to ride in the sand. Whatever it is that Jesus is doing in a moment, or a guy's blind and people are freaking out and he decides to spit and make mud. Why? It's like Jesus is saying, you guys are in this big hurry. Yeah. You're in this Redazzle. hurry and you're going in the, the, the hectic direction that's only going to cause collateral damage. Mm. And if there's any way we can slow down the pace, which by the way, it's funny because... It's the same when you're when you're sitting and doing like pastoral counseling with somebody. Usually when somebody makes a big mistake or their marriage is on the rocks or something is breaking, they want to speed it up. They're like, I'm going to file the paperwork. I'm going to do the thing. I want to get it done because we don't like sitting in the discomfort and the pressure of the in-between moments that feel anxious. Yeah. But there is something powerful that can happen when not only do we not try to get past them, but we sit in them and we breathe Mm -hmm. through them. Mm -hmm. There's a, uh, uh, you know, Eugene Peterson did the message paraphrase, which I just love. I love. Yeah. So um, James, which gets a bad rap sometimes, but James is just trying to help. Here's how I picture James. James is like sitting at his desk in Jerusalem and people are coming at him and they're like, listen, Everybody's being mean to everybody. I don't even know what to do. And he's like, what's that thing Jesus said? Let me just write this down, give it to you and hand it off. Like, that's how I feel like James was written. But uh, the message paraphrase, James chapter one, it says this, to consider it sheer joy when pressures comes, or when things come at you from all sides, that kind of feeling of all sides, because it's actually under pressure that your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. But then it says this, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Oh, dang. So no scripture has shaped the way that I lead both in my family and in our church than that. Mm. Because the idea of I want to put a bow on the situation is almost anti-gospel. Yeah. 
It puts me in the place of the hero. It puts me in the place of Christ. Instead of saying like one, Jesus already did all the stuff that needs to be done. And so now we're sitting in the middle until the story comes to its conclusion, the natural already set conclusion, but in the middle, it feels bad, but it's also in the middle that you have the most life change that you have the like the deepest bonds that are formed through these shared ordeals of life. I just would hate for pastors to miss out on the sweet moments of like somebody breathing mm-hmm. and seeing Jesus in a new way mm-hmm. because you just wanted to get past the thing that was uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. 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 Allowing Jesus to meet us in that discomfort can be some of the most uncontrollable <laughs> things in, in our leadership, even in our lives. And so I love that. So what I'm hearing you say is, is, is being okay with not having all the answers and not trying to exit uh, prematurely uh, in the mm-hmm. midst of a, of a situation. And I'm wondering what that would look like. And guess what? I don't think we can have a formula and, and write it out and prescribe it to everyone. I think. Which is why everybody need. doesn't want to do this I because know. there isn't one. There yeah. isn't one. It's, yeah. it's people work. It's personal work. It's sitting in a space and saying, I actually believe that the presence of Jesus does something I can't do or predict. And if we believe that's true, then we should stop trying to predict it. But mm. that we also need to make space for it. So I think yeah. that would probably be the third thing that I would say is how are we making space as leaders for the conversations, for the freedom of somebody to say this hurts, for the transformation stories of how mm-hmm. Jesus has shown up so that maybe somebody else might have hope. Are we making space for one of the largest crises in the Western world in our day so that Jesus can be made great in those conversations and in those stories? I think that's where I'd love to go with our next question is just have you speak a bit to what does it mean if we're going to put Jesus at the center of our lives and our churches and our leadership and literally at the center of everything, how will that inform us in this crisis? What will it mean to show up with people pastorally, like whether it's in our teaching or like you're in a one-on-one meeting in your office, Mm -hmm. or you're just walking the streets of your city and you're saying like, okay, what does it mean uh, to live out of Jesus at the center? How does that inform you Mm -hmm. in this? That's so great. I love that question. And shouldn't we just ask that about everything? (laughs) Like, how do I just... It is kind of around. a driving question of Jesus Collective. Jesus we're, Collective. We're always so, talking about Jesus. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a young pastor. I'm in my mid-30s, technically late 30s, but I'm still claiming mid. <laughs> and one of the things that uh, people have done well for me is to ask me a lot of questions about what it is that I'm experiencing so that they can help to point out where Jesus is already at work. So I think that the danger of showing up and having an answer that's canned or ready or whatever is that like the discovery of the person that you're walking with of them discovering Jesus is so powerful. I had a spiritual director. Have you guys ever sat with a spiritual director before? Mm -hmm. Yep. So what I love about spiritual direction. Yeah, for sure. What I love about spiritual direction is there's this, power and asking questions to discern what yeah. Jesus is saying in a, in a yeah. moment. So if every pastor in the Western world could figure out like, go take a spiritual direction course so you can learn to ask great questions. I think that would be one way because Jesus is already at work. I, we don't need to conjure him. 
We don't need to direct him. We honestly, I know we say it in our prayers, we don't even need to invite him into whatever room we're in. Like he's already there. He's already with us. And so I think like helping people to discover that is is one thing. That's probably in the like one-on-one thing. I also think um, self-leadership, when you are aware of your own anxiety, is another way of like, how do I center around what Jesus is doing? Uh, One of my great mentors actually said to me, Jenny, there's gonna be a lot of things that happen in the world and a lot of really hard things that you sit with people through. And Mm -hmm. you're allowed to have a reaction. Like you'll react to whatever's happening. But what we need to learn to do is to take our reaction before Jesus and Jesus gives us our response. Yeah. So there's a difference between reaction and response. And I think we have a lot of leaders who react to try to fix it and not respond with Jesus. So I think mm-hmm. that would be a thing. You asked about teaching and preaching. Can we talk about that for a minute? Please. Yeah. yeah. I can get it somewhere else, but yeah, let's talk about it now. Okay. 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 So here's, here's the deal. I think there's, I'll tell you this way. We're doing a series on marriage right now at our church and our, I lead our teaching team. Our teaching team is live preachers at multiple campuses. And so we get into a room every week and we study the scriptures and we decide what we're going to teach that week based on previously done work, whatever. So the conversation that keeps being brought up in our, in our meeting is that we have non-married people either intentionally or non-intentionally in our congregation, which is valid and true. Uh, We also have not done targeted teaching on marriage in nine years at our church just context. So now we're sitting in this room and I was getting bothered because we're teaching song of songs, which it's very hard not to talk about, you know, marriage when you're talking about song of songs. So just, you know, for the, for the kids listening. So we're, we're here and I I have this moment, like, why am I bothered by everybody like wanting to shy away from giving leadership to marriage? And because I think when I'm looking at our churches right now, marriage is where it hurts. So like pastorally, Ooh. there's a lot of brokenness in our church with marriages. So I feel like we need to speak to it. Okay. So back that up. We did that mental health series. So how did, did, was everybody sitting in our gatherings at the mental health series dealing with a mental health issue? Probably not. No, probably not. No. Why did they come? Because it's, it's an issue close to the heart. It speaks to their culture. Because they love somebody who is. Ah, yeah. They know somebody in their life. That's what I no. was going to say. <laughs> no, but the, it is. It's called, Yes, there's going to be people who are like, this is a hot button issue. I want to learn about it. Yeah. But the deeper thing, even beneath that, is that they know somebody. Someone they love. Dealing with it. Somebody that they love. Mm-hmm. And if we're truly doing what Jesus said for, that we were to do as the church, then what our job is, is not just to speak to the people who are sitting there, but it's to equip the people who are Jesus's church to go bring the love and healing power of Jesus to their people, wherever they are. So we equip them with like, let's talk about mental health. Yes, because, and being aware of maybe you are dealing with this, but primarily you are the body of Christ everywhere that you go. So it's the same thing now with with marriage. The reason we would talk about these issues of where it hurts is missional, like missional. So when I'm thinking about teaching, when I'm thinking about anything, if we just go uh, internal and introspective, I think we need to go internal introspective because we need to actually truly meet people where they are. But if we stop there, we will miss it 
because then the arrows of everybody's hearts turn in, their world gets smaller. And actually what we will end up with is more division, not actually more healing. Somehow we need to say, Jesus sees you, has healing for you, and is sending you mm. to go out into the world as wounded healers, as Henry Nowen would say. Yes. Yeah. And as we go out into the world, it's like, this is mission. This is like Luke four mission stuff, like set to set captives free, to bring healing to people, to, to give, bring good news to the poor. Like that's the stuff that will eventually get everybody's eyes off of themselves mm. and onto the greatest need in the world. I just have never seen somebody who's like really going after mission in a way that's transforming their life that is allowing themselves to be pulled back into the cycle of anxiety over and over again without dealing with it. Does that make sense? No, that makes tons of sense. And so I do think we need to have the quiet moments where we're teaching people great tools. And there's a ton of them. There's breathing techniques. There's, you know, uh, writing lists of things that overwhelm you. How do I go after times of solitude? All of these Mm -hmm. things that honestly the church history has practiced forever. And we forgot in the 20th century, those things are drastically needed only if they like heal you so you can go Mm, like we have to go out with missional intent yeah so that's probably the thing that i'm asking and we're talking even just at our church in our teaching in our counseling in our conversations like every marriage would be better if they had a shared mission friendships are better with shared mission i'm watching a whole friendship group at our church right now like they now are the they like we host an entire weekend they're there the whole time they're like everybody will be welcomed so well because we want to do this together and they're getting healthier their relationships are getting healthier their businesses are getting healthier we just i think we've gotten and covid didn't help arrows in yeah. arrows in yeah. arrows in and so anything that was deeply hidden it got exposed, which is good. It is good to expose the hidden things. Yeah. But Jesus actually doesn't just leave us exposed and wounded. Exposed. Yeah. He actually, I mean, the Good Samaritan story tells us that when we were stuck on the side of the road, exposed, naked, broken, Jesus came along, bound up our wounds, put us on his own donkey, whatever it was, get you to the end, paid for everything that we needed to be able to be healed so that we would walk out with a story that says, our God actually heals yeah, so that other people can experience it too. Yeah. I just, it's so simple yet. So powerful. uh, Your statement that Jesus sees you and he has healing for you. And then with that, we go out and we, we share that. And so I'm wondering without breaking confidences, of course, if you can share some of, some of these, I don't want to say success stories, but, um, stories of transformation, like just, just to encourage our audience of, uh, of places in which you have seen people allowing the master to see them and to bring that healing toward them. And then how that brought transformation. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. There have been a, a number of people that I have watched truly take time to sit and say like, what actually is broken? I have a friend who went through a really unexpected divorce and she's in our church. And it was like, she was like, no, I really, really can't. I, this is, she, she fought so hard and it just was a, it was a no from him. And so mm-hmm. she was sitting there and she was like, what am I supposed to do now? Because she's somebody that God has used to be a great voice in our church. And so she felt kind of at that point, 
like she was almost unable to do the things that she needed to do, which nobody said to her. She just felt that way. And so she kind of sat in this space. And there's a prayer by uh, Father Thomas Keating called the Welcome Prayer. Have you guys heard this one? Yeah. Um, It starts with welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes at me today because I know it is for my healing. And so my friend, she started saying that prayer every single day. She'd wake up in the morning and she'd say, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes at me today because I know it's for my healing. And she actually has the whole thing memorized. I can't do it. Um, But it was pretty interesting because she ended up going to seminary, went to seminary, and she started like a, a divorce care group. She started multiple like Celebrate Recovery For people in our church, she started these classes where people were studying the scriptures together so they could find Jesus in them. The Jesus XP thing that we kind of talked about, she started a bunch of Jesus Mm -hmm. XP groups. uh, She's actually getting together with a group of people in her neighborhood because they want to bring healing to their neighborhood. And she, it was really funny because at one point she was like, you know, before in my marriage, I I felt almost like, because her husband didn't follow Jesus and didn't really want to be a part of mission. She's like, I think I thought that was the end, like the, the, the end of our marriage was like the end of whatever God wanted to use me for, but it was actually the beginning, the beginning. And I think that that framework for people and not that, you know, but doesn't God work in those moments yeah. where we feel like we've been knocked down and we can't get yeah. back up. And then actually it's at the end of ourselves that we find the beginning of him and we can move forward into all of these new things. And so that's been really cool. I'd like to share one other one. Um, it's about yeah, my mom. Please do. My, please do. My mom. Oh, so, yeah. We got to circle back to that. So my mom, it's really interesting because um, my whole life, she really felt, you know, she she didn't have a place and she couldn't connect and she couldn't really tell anybody. So she just suffered silently. Mm-hmm. As I got older, I learned more about her story and just the traumas in her life that she never had anybody to talk to about. And just what that does to somebody when you've got something stuck inside and you can't ever get it out. And she ended up, um, actually she met a Catholic priest and this priest started talking to her about like healing Mm -hmm. and like, Hey, there's actually a way that you could experience Jesus in a new way. And she was like, well, what would that look like? And she ended up going to this like retreat and at this retreat, which by the way, my mom would have never done anything like this. She didn't leave the house. So the fact that she like got in a car and drove to a place and she met somebody who just said, just let me listen to your story. That's all they did. You guys, they listened to her story. That's it. Wow. Wow. They just listened to it. She came back changed, like totally changed. We had these letters that we wrote back to each other and she was able to say stuff that I have never heard her say. Mm. And she's like, this is just what God's doing in my life. I had never heard my mom talk about God. Because she just struggled. It wasn't that she didn't have faith. It's that she was just drowning all the time. And the power of letting someone hear your story and then moving past that for for my mom, it set her free. And so that was just a really powerful thing in my own life to be able to see her in a brand new way. And then, you know, watch. It's fun because now all of her sisters are older than her. They all live in her mm. town and my mom's the one that drives them all to their appointments and gets them wow. all of their prescriptions and makes sure that everybody gets where they need to go. She cared for her mom as she was dying and she just found this mission inside of her that drew her outside of herself. And I've just, I've seen that story over and over again. And by the way, yeah. she still needed medication. She still needed all those for things. Sure. Yeah. But And that's okay. And that's great. Yes. But there's this biblical example that I think is just kind of fun to think about. 
So there's like the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, you know? Yep. So the, the Dead Sea, nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called dead. It's like it's all salt content. Nothing can put there. And then the Sea of Galilee is like teeming with life, right? It's like, what's the difference? Well, the Sea of Galilee has rivers that flow in and rivers that flow out. No. The Dead Sea only has rivers in, no. none out. So the only way anything can change is through evaporation and then the, the ugly stuff just stays. And I think that's what we're seeing in people. And I've just seen this deep yes. connection between people. They, they have to have their story heard. They have yeah. to be seen by Jesus and feel seen by Jesus. And they do that really by be, being seen by Jesus people. Yeah. And, but then the next, it has to be like so fast. Like, how do we get them? What's their passion? Where does it hurt? What's the mission? How do we activate people to be going after the things that God created them for? Or else why are we still here? Yeah. If yeah. if we weren't made for mission, then like we just say yes to Jesus and we're like, ah, we're in eternity. That's just not the story. So yeah, where's no. the hope that we're supposed to be sowing into the world that's desperate? Yeah. I mean, the New York Times is publishing articles about the mental health of teenagers, and we have the hope of the world. Mm. Yeah. But we're drowning under our own emotions, not dealing with it so much so, calling it faith, yeah. that we're unable to bring the hope and healing to the world that we were created to. Yeah, and right. so that's what I'm, I'm hoping that we start to see in the future. And, and there's, there's other stories. There was a, um, there was a guy in our church who was like, my whole life, I've been fine. I've been fine. I've been fine. And he goes, after this series, I realized that like 20 years ago, I like had a breakdown. And then I, I like never, he's like, I just would have told everybody that I never had anxiety in my life. And he's like, and now I have language for something I never had language yeah. for before. Mm. And it was really cool and powerful for him to share because then other men in our community who yeah. are older, who were like, oh, all these kids with their anxiety. Now they have this picture of like someone they respect that can say, oh, me too. Yeah. And actually I went and got help, mm. but I didn't tell anyone because I wasn't supposed to. But now mm. I'm realizing how freeing it is for me to say, oh, getting help is actually really strong. Yeah. Just yeah. like it is when you're ill. I mean, nobody yeah. would expect that if your arm was bleeding, you wouldn't go get a tourniquet. Like you just, you've got to figure it out when we have these things. And so we, there's a bunch more stories that are harder to share without details. Yeah. But there is a connection between the arrows of our heart getting off of us and onto mission. Yeah. When I see yeah. the the lasting healing, does that make yeah. sense? There's yeah. the, there's yeah, the initial absolutely. healing, but what's yes. the lasting yeah. healing that I've seen? There yeah. really, there's a big connection there. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I love what you're doing with that is like, you're essentially telling and reminding us of the good news all over again, but a good news that's not a sort of like, Hey, let's all get saved and float up to heaven. But a good news that meets us here, that is the now and the not yet. That is the, yeah. like the kingdom is coming in this moment. And there yeah. is, there's is light breaking into the darkness right now. And so often like so much of our culture has just heard the message of Jesus is like, Hey, I want to get out of here. Let's just escape. It. Yeah. Escape. Escape. Yeah escape and, and prematurely exiting yes let's get out let's get out yeah. let's get out of here let's let's go i mean that 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 theology that happened around the turn of the 19th or the 20th mm -hmm. century all that stuff is like yep. yes uh it's it's really interesting and i know we're gonna come to our time but this is just like 
so helpful, I think, for us as we're thinking, this is the armchair psychologist section, just for a moment here. If I can nerd out. Okay. So Edwin Friedman, Edwin Freeman wrote a book called failure of nerve. And in it, he talked about something called the non-anxious presence. Mm -hmm. And so you'll hear this in psychology a lot. You'll hear this in people who are particularly therapists, but the non-anxious presence is somebody who's able to break a cycle of anxiety to interrupt a cycle that's happening around them or in them. And it's actually the single thing that can stop what actually Friedman says is an epidemic that runs from your house to the White House. Mm. It's an American mm-hmm. perspective, but the, the, that we are swimming in anxious waters. Yes. And mm-hmm. and as uh, at the very beginning, Shauna, you mentioned that we're in an election year. And so oh, I just like, <laughs> so gross. Okay, so uh, I, I've been thinking about this so much lately because this is exactly what happens. I just want to tell you, so his cycle, and I'm using Jenny words because his words are harder. So it starts with reactivity, that whole like we react to something that's happening and then it goes yeah. to hurting. So now everybody doesn't know what to do. They look at each other and they do what everybody else is doing. At some point, a herd forms around this yeah. anxious moment. And then they have nothing else to do but to blame someone for the problem that they're experiencing. So reaction, hurting, blaming. From blaming, we get to quick fix. So whoever can show up and say, I can solve this problem fastest, we give them our allegiance. Yeah. And then what we do is we elevate something that Friedman calls a lack. They're non-well-differentiated leaders. So it's a leader who doesn't actually know how to break an anxious cycle being elevated to fix an anxious cycle, which leads to an anxious cycle. Mm -hmm. So what we're sitting in in our human way is that we are always looking for whatever the fastest fix is, whoever the loudest leader is. And we think that in a world that is screaming and anxious and loud, what we need to be is louder still. But that's just the opposite of what needs to happen. We've got to slow down. We've got to get quiet. We've got to get clear. And we have to not choose sides. Mm. So if if the church is choosing sides between two quick fixes, to the herd mentality of the anxiety cycle in our world, what's going to end up happening is we're only going to continue to perpetuate it, not interrupt it. Our job, yeah. if we can figure this out in the next generation of leadership, if the if Jesus people leaders could figure out how to be non-anxious presence in anxious cycles, mm. then the whole world would start to look to the church for hope and healing right now. We're not doing it. What I watched American pastors do during COVID is to blame, choose size, be quick fix, and even sometimes become non-well differentiated leaders. And I'm speaking this to myself, like Jenny, slow down, Jenny, get quiet. And it doesn't mean don't speak. It means be quiet. Mm -hmm. There's just, we, we need a different voice in this season than the one that we've had, at least in America. So like I can speak yeah. to my own context as a leader in America. And by th- I think it's everywhere in the Western world, like louder isn't better. Yeah. And right. all that's going to end up. And honestly, they're going to, there's going to be a promise on all sides of like a quick, quick turnaround of perfection and the ideal. And like the, the Jesus that we serve is like, the whole time he's on it, he's like, well, my time's not yet come. My time's not yet come. My time's not yet come. Yeah. My time's not yet come. And you're like, what the heck? Can you just already do the thing where you like start glowing? Like, where's that? Yeah. And even when he died, people were like, wait, you didn't do the thing. You were supposed to do right. the thing. 
where you like yeah. sat on the throne and you overthrew Rome and you didn't do the thing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I did the thing. Yeah. Like yeah. I resurrected to cancel the curse of sin, death and evil. Come on. And we just can't see it. Yeah. So because yeah. we can't see it, then we join a herd that's going to blame that's looking for a yeah. quick fix that elevates leaders that don't get us to the goal. The cycle. Yeah. The cycle. So speaking of yeah. like leaders that need to show up in non-anxious ways, I'm just curious, like mm-hmm. what does it mean for you to practice that in your own life, specifically around this like idea of, of self-care and like overstretching yourself. And, and like you, you mentioned earlier in our time together that you're a fixer. How did you learn to just say, hey, Jenny, slow down, uh, know your limitations, know what it means to to be part of the solution, starting with yourself? Yeah. I wish that I could say that I came this way and that my faithful presence with the Lord developed me. Um, I, I probably got there like everybody else did. I hit a wall I couldn't get through. Mm. Pete Scazzaro talks about that in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership. He's like, every mm-hmm. leader will one day hit a wall. And then Yeah, you hit a wall and like I can't I can't break that one down. And I can't talk my way out of it and I can't I can't outsmart it and I can't I can't fix it and I can't replace it. I can't even like go back in time. I can't go forward in time. Like there's just this this through it thing that you have to learn. So I mean I think it feels like it would be hard for those of us who run real fast to get here without hitting a wall. But I really hope that the next generation of leaders don't have to, if we could learn how to pass it on. Um, but yeah, you come to the end of yourself and your leadership and you're like, I can't I actually physically can't do it. And then at that point, I think you either quit or you adapt. And um, by the grace of God, I think I just am too stubborn to quit. So I figured out, like, I'm going to have to figure this out. And I mean, it helps when you love people who are going through hard things. Because yeah. when you naturally yeah. love somebody, you're going to sit with them different than when you're disconnected from somebody. Yeah. yeah. So I think letting people into your life, there's this yeah. thing that goes, uh, I'm going to piss some people off. Can I say that word on Yes, here? you I can. Totally, it. please. Oh, okay, no. Great. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to piss some people off. Um, in my seminary, they were like, listen, pastors, don't make friends with people in your church. And I'm oh, like, that's I heard cr- that all the time. I'm yeah. like, that is crap. I think yeah. that's total, utter yeah. crap. Yeah. Because I don't know how you truly authentically lead people that you don't allow yeah. into your life. Yeah. And I think that, that we've seen plenty of the negative fruit of that one. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. like, listen, let people in your life, they will, yeah. they will shape you. Because you're with them. Jesus, this the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, also lives in those other yes. people who follow Jesus in your yeah. life. Yeah. And it turns out that spirit's drawing you all the time. Mm. And so if yeah. we can learn to recognize it in one another and not, not create distance between leaders and people in the church, mm. not create weird divides, blur the lines that people tried to make really, really solid. We're going to get to the point where we start to learn, like we're just people walking through it. Um, I would like to tell you where I'm terrible at this. My own children. I am the least non-anxious presence with, I am the most anxious presence with my children. And uh, it is really funny. It's just like, you can uh, press my buttons with my children. That will happen to me. But I think it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. We could like dissect why, like whatever. I feel safe at home, all those different things. But 
but we're all learning at different times. But what I want is to pass on the type of parenting and leadership where my kids would learn how to be non-anxious for their kids. And so I'm learning to answer less, to make a lot more noises like, hmm, when my children mm-hmm. talk and I would like them to, what my daughter, you know, she'll just lose it. Like all the things that are going wrong in her life. And it has something to do with a friend that said something mean to her. And of course the world is over and me being a very practical realist. I'm like, it's probably fine. That person's probably done anyway. But <laughs> what I have to do is I have to go, huh, mm-hmm. that sounds really hard. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm becoming more like Jesus there. Because yeah. I'm not trying to fill his place. Yeah. And I think that there was a teaching that permeated that I really have a pet peeve about that we're the best Jesus to other people. And I just, I think that's bad theology and bad. I just think it's bad. I think we're the church. Yeah. I think that Jesus is Jesus. Yeah. And so Jesus we can learn how to be the church. That role's taken. Yeah, that role's just, taken. I think we'd okay. have a lot less problem, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's the thing for me is I had a wall, had to learn how still don't do a great job, but I am learning. It also helps to find other people around that are a non-anxious presence for me yeah. when I and spend time with them. Like if everyone I spend time with is hectic and overwhelmed all the time, there's, that's just, there's no way for me to ever come down to a grounded level. There's got to be somebody in my life that's not anxious that even when I start to get to that point where it will rise, it's not, it's a, it's a spectrum in your life that anxiety will rise. Who are the people in my life that I can go to say, here's what I'm feeling. And they can say, that sounds hard. And I can be like, yeah, that is hard. And it is amazing what not trying to fix it. And just saying that will do most of the time a hug. And then that sounds hard. It's the best pastoral care you'll ever give somebody because that's not what people get in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's the presence, right? Yeah. Holding space for people. Absolutely. It interrupts. It interrupts us. Like that's what that counselor did for me. The cycle was going in my head. There was only one way out. The only way out was that I break down every wall and fix the problem. And he interrupted the cycle by teaching me to breathe. Mm. Yeah. And so we've got to learn how to do that for each other. And eventually you'll get better at doing it for yourself. That's the same thing as you interrupt the downward spiral in your mind. But if we can learn to do that for one another by these unexpected moments of presence. I'm thinking of there's a pretty famous mantra that talks about the only way out is through. Hmm. And I feel like we're saying, you know what, maybe, maybe not, maybe another way out truly is is, is to sit and to wait and to trust that the presence of God that is already there will meet us exactly how we need him to. And then he can help guide us to whatever is next. Mm-hmm. But when we're trying to just go through, go through, go mm-hmm. through, go through, ugh, yeah. I think we're missing, missing the mark a bit there. It's like everybody's favorite book in the Bible, Habakkuk. <laughs> Is that, yeah. is that not your favorite? Is that not your favorite <laughs> my, my top 10, I'm sorry. <gasps> oh, okay. I'm sorry. Sorry. It's like, I was yeah. so it starts it with how, Spotify rap. No. <laughs> starts with this. How long? Oh Lord. Yeah. How long? Oh, and then it Just, ends with, it ends with even if the flowers fade, even if, yeah. even if everything forever is broken hmm. yet, I will praise the Lord. It's learning to sit in that tension that we find 
exactly. It's like Jesus in the garden. Mm, I mean, we've got to get to these places. It's like, where does it, where does time slow down? I think when that time slows down, the like space between heaven and earth gets real thin. Yeah. And we just feel like, okay, this is, God's actually got this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny, um, this has been a lot of fun. I think we had, we had said in the beginning, we wanted to have fun with this conversation and just break down those stigmas that maybe come with talking about anxiety within the church. And I think we've done that. Um, mm. And I feel like the three of us could probably converse for a few more hours. Easily, <laughs> I don't know if easily. our podcast listening audience will slow down enough to <laughs> allow us to do that. That's on them. But, but in honoring, uh, in honoring that fact, um, I would love to um, close out our conversation with just a message of hope. Um, I think you said a lot of encouraging things, a lot of real things. And so if you had to like, as much as we don't want to just put a bow on it and let it be done. um, But if you did have to leave the listening audience with just a message of hope, uh, especially given our context in America this next year, and just all the things, right, that we're all still dealing with worldwide. Uh, what would that um, message be? No pressure. No pressure. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just do my go-to and tell you something Jesus did. Mm. So there's this moment in Mark chapter four, where the disciples go out in a boat and it says that Jesus is there and the storm comes up and it gets yep. really wild. And, and it says in there only in Mark, there's two things. This is only in Mark's gospel really explicitly. One is it says that the boat was filling with water. And there's just something about that feeling that put me like right back on the bottom of the ocean. The boat was filling with water. And Jesus was in the boat. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's in the boat. And at the end of that time, those who were thinking that they were going to sink got to watch Jesus be Lord of the wind and the waves. And they're like, who is this? Like we have a God who, when, if we, if Jesus were standing here right now in Canada, in America, sitting in Winnipeg in negative 22 Fahrenheit, wherever he's there. And he did anything. Literally. We would be like, who is this? Hmm. Even if we know him, he's that big and he's that powerful and he's unbothered. It doesn't mean he's unmoved. They're right. different. He's unbothered yeah. because he knows what he's Lord of. And here's the thing that I think should give us hope, but also challenge us. Is it okay? Because I think it's the same thing. Yeah. In Mark's gospel, the other thing that it says, and I had never seen this until somebody pointed it out to me a couple years ago. It says they go out, although other boats followed. Yeah. So, while they're sinking and their boats are filling with water and their eyes are sitting on the rising water levels, there were other boats in the water. And when Jesus stopped the waves for them, he knew that he was stopping the waves for the others too. Mm. And so we not only have a God that wants to heal us and provide for us and be Lord over the storms of our life, but he actually sees more than we see beyond what we see. And he's concerned with more than we even know to be concerned with. And so when we come to the storms of life and we say, Jesus, I get it. My boat is filling with water and I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to say, I trust that you're the Lord of the wind and the waves. And as soon as we see him show up, I just pray. And I hope that we start to notice and celebrate that he's doing it for other people too. And that Mm -hmm. our trust in him flows out from us 
into the whole world around us to even people who don't even know that it was Jesus who stopped the waves for them. Yeah. So good. This has been just a fantastic conversation. I, my heart is full and it's, there's just so much that's, that's stirred as you've just shared your life and your story, Mm -hmm. Jenny. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for spending time and uh, sharing, sharing what, what you have in your life and what Jesus has done for you and through you. And mm-hmm. uh, you're just such a gift. And I can't wait mm-hmm. for the opportunity that so many folks uh, that are connected to Jesus Collective will have uh, when they get to see you at Unite, because you're one of our key. Yes, members. let's go so, to Unite together. We're going to have yes. so much fun. So please do that. You can register online at JesusCollective.com. And we'd love to see uh, y'all out there. I can say y'all because I'm in the presence of Shauna, who has taught me the y'allness. Also, I grew up in Texas. I still say y'all. Yeah, there you go. I Permission has been granted. Here's the thing. So if you are listening and you can get to Unite, do it. Bring at least, and here's the thing. You might be tempted to come alone. Don't do that. That would be a bad idea. It's like literally not the Jesus way. You have to at least bring one other person with you. Come on. He's always sending people out in pairs, but like let's pairs multiply, blah, 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 72, bring everybody. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that what we're going to experience there is going to be really pivotal and important for the next season of, Mm -hmm. of Jesus's church. Come on. Well, you heard it here folks. And so I speak to you, our listening audience. If you made it this far, like, Hey, thanks. We appreciate you. We we're here for you. We want to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at Jesus Collective. Uh, if you have any questions, you can send them that info at jesuscollective.com. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center. God is at work raising up a movement of churches, ministries, and disciples all around the world that are passionate about advancing a more united and hopeful, Jesus-centered, Jesus-looking kingdom. If you're a listener today, I'm sure you can see and feel that. So, can I ask you today if you'd help us amplify this Jesus-centered movement? Can you share the podcast, blog, and social media channels? We are on a mission to equip a centered set vision of a church renewed by Jesus by investing in the renewal of its leaders. Would you consider making a financial investment in Jesus Collective today? Is anything stopping you? If not, go to JesusCollective.com. Your investment means we can advance and amplify this Jesus-centered movement, investing in pastors and Christian leaders globally. Hey, And don't forget to make sure to check out our website for upcoming events. We've got a ton of great things happening.